Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. on the road. Um, it's unfortunate we didn't come away with, with two points. We're still struggling to score, uh, but I liked uh, a lot of our players and I liked a lot about our game tonight. That's Edmonton Oilers head coach Todd McClellan following his team's 2-1 shootout loss to the Washington Capitals on November 12th. The game capped a four-game road trip that also included dates against all three New York area teams and saw the Oilers pick up five points of a possible eight. The Oilers played a lot better during the trip than they had in the games leading up to it, and it was followed by an 8-2 thumping of the visiting Vegas Golden Knights two nights later. Are we seeing the resurgence of an Oilers squad that made it to Game 7 of the second round of the playoffs last spring? I'm joined by hockey writers Jim Matheson, Robert Tichkowski, and Derek Van Deest to talk about whether the Oilers have turned a corner and are on their way back to contending for, and sitting in, an NHL playoff position. I'm Rob Tichkowski. Jim Matheson. I'm Derek Van Deest. I'm Craig Ellingson. This is the Oil Spills Podcast for November 16th, 2017. Welcome back, Maddie. You were on the most recent road trip. New York, Washington, then you stopped in Toronto. Yes, for the Hockey Hall of Fame. How was that? That was fine. It was uh, the luncheon for Cam Cole, a former journal columnist, uh, was uh, very good. And then the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I think that because it's a TV production, they don't think they give the, the people who are being honored much time to say anything except thank, thank you to whoever needs to be thanked and there's not not enough anecdotes or anything like that in the speeches so you kind of miss that there was more anecdotes in Cam Cole's uh, speech at the Hockey Hall of Fame without writing it down too that's why he was got to the Hockey Hall of Fame he didn't even he had to write anything down for all his thank yous just off the top of his head 
Now, when you're a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, when you're there, do you have to like wear your Hockey Hall of Fame blazer? I wore the blazer, which I haven't worn for about 15 years. So it uh, was that your first time back since being? Uh, I was there, I think, for Rod Phillips's when he got in a couple of years after me. So I wore it then, but that was about 2003 or something. So yeah, okay. and not uh, worn it since. It was in the back of the closet. Well, didn't need a lot of altering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. It was the same color. It's, yeah. As I recall, you know, I, not that I'm trying to throw myself under the bus, but I am. You know, 15 years ago, I I don't think I have any of my clothes left from 15. Well, years a, a ago. guy always keeps clothes bench strength in the back of the closet. Never wants to throw anything away because <laughs> your weight fluctuates. You don't. Uh, you know, you, you never throw stuff away. Well, welcome back, and of course the Oilers are back. Well, they were back. I've already been back home for one game. They have a two-game sojourn here at Rogers Place before heading back on the road again. And uh, I think we can say the Oilers have been playing better. I mean, they did crush the Vegas Golden Knights, the expansion team, eight to two on Tuesday. And today is Thursday, by the way. And they're playing St. Louis tonight. We can say the Oilers have been playing better than they did to start the season, can't we? Oh, certainly, because they were garbage to start the season. So it doesn't. It wouldn't take much. But yeah, they're four two and one in their last six, and they're trending up in, in a few key areas such as goaltending and penalty kill at least last game was okay so they're 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 making inroads they have a lot of ground to make up but you know they are they are trending up anyway in the last little stretch they are playing infinitely better on the road than they do at home the games are all one goal games for the most part uh and low scoring at home it, they win 8-2 or they lose 6-1 they win 5-4, they lose 5-3. There's not a lot of 2-1 games at home. Uh, we'll see if they can turn it around. It'd be nice to go on the road trip, only one game under 500 going on the road trip, as opposed to still being two under and then having to scramble to try to get to 500. Yeah, I think they, they, they are playing better. In the situation, I thought earlier in the year, they were kind of resting on the laurels of last year's playoff run. Um, they just figured that they could just pick up <coughs> from where they were last year and and start playing the way they played last year, and it doesn't work that way. You you, you start at, at day one, the next season. And I think they they kind of forgot that, and I know I think they're starting to see see the, the the structure back in place in their game, and they're starting to play the game the right way, and they're starting to do the little things that they were supposed to do earlier in the year. They just thought they were just going to show up, and teams were going to bow down to them because they they won a playoff round last year. I think that was um, the, the biggest thing that I saw is that the expectations on this team were so high. People have them going to the Stanley Cup final. They won one playoff round last year. Let's let's not kid ourselves. There, there are teams that win two, three playoff rounds constantly every year that haven't won the Stanley Cup. And a team that's in town like that, St. Louis Blues, is a good example of that. So I think the Oilers have to realize that it's not going to happen overnight, and, and they have to put in the work still. Now, you may, playoffs. Um, the Oilers are last I checked four points out of a playoff spot in the Western Conference. But there's a whole lot of teams in that, in the you know, between the Oilers, mm-hmm. who I believe have 16 points heading into tonight's game against St. Louis, and teams that are in a playoff position that have 20 points. And there's a few of those: Calgary, San Jose, Vancouver. Um, now, U.S. Thanksgiving is coming up, and that's usually the benchmark. If you're in the playoffs, come U.S. Thanksgiving, or you're in a playoff position, pretty good chance you're going to be it. However, Oilers are not. Do are we? I know we were talking about you know a, while, a week or two ago. Geez, Louise, these guys better pull up their socks. Is a are the playoffs still 
uh, are they still in sight? Oh, they're definitely in sight, but they're just on the verge. They're like if you're if you're playing around a golf and you're looking to break ninety, and you roll out, you know, three double bogeys in your first three holes, you can still break ninety, but you don't have much room left for air. And I think the Oilers are in that position right now. They've had their slump, and now for their last sixty some odd games of the season, they have to start playing at a high winning percentage and playing well because they haven't left themselves a lot of wiggle room for things to go wrong. It's like you know the the gap is only four points, but more importantly, it's six teams. One of those six teams posts a better record over the final 68 games. You know, Edmonton doesn't make the playoffs. So you have to be better than, than those six teams ahead of you. And that's, uh, that doesn't leave me a lot of room because every night one of those teams ahead of you is winning. It's like you're constantly trying to scratch to make up ground and, and somebody is always out of those six teams is picking up points here and there. So you know, they're still alive, but they have to get a lot better and, and really pick up their winning percentage consistently to, to make that happen. I don't think U.S. Thanksgiving will mean quite as much this year. Twenty teams in the league are either two games over 500 or two games under 500. So, and then there's you know seven or eight teams which are way better than everybody else. And then there's the Arizona Coyotes and and Florida Panthers and a few teams that are right at the bottom. I think maybe you don't need 95 points or 94 points. This year. Maybe 90, 91 points gets in because it's so there's so many teams around 500. Uh, it, Rob is right, though. You've got to jump over a bunch of teams. But as long as you stay in within sight of all those other teams that are around 500, then you better make your push you know, after Christmas to, to make sure you pick up and you're not jumping over all those teams. But for now, it could be a lot worse because, like I said, 20 teams in the league are either two games over, two games over or two games under. Yeah, I think that's the big key, I think, is to get the back to 500 and then start to work your way up from 500. Uh, the longer you wait to, to get get back to that even mark, I think the tougher it's going to be, and you're going to end, end up running out of games. So I think right now the focus for the Oilers is to get back to that even mark, uh, whether it you know, be the Thanksgiving or, or whenever, December 1st, to get back to that mark. And then once you're at that mark, you can kind of work from there. But I think they did dig, they dug themselves a bit of a hole with their slow start, but that's got to be their number one priority. Now let's get back to 500 and then kind of try to build – uh, a buffer from there because it, it's going to take, I don't know, what is it, 10, 12 games over 500 to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to have to start building that. Uh, but you got to get to 500 first. Yeah, they're in, a, they're in a spot right now. If they if they lose three in a row, they're in big, big trouble. So they're right on that kind of bubble. If they if they win three in a row, then everything is fine. They've left themselves a lot of time to close that gap. If they lose three in a row, they're, they're in a heap of it. So. And they play St. Louis two of the next three. Yeah. St. Louis the Oilers don't have a lot of success beating St. Louis in St. Louis. Now at home might be a little different story, but um, you're right. You can't they can't stand a losing streak right now. They got to somehow keep scratching points out of this, and that's what they have been doing at least the last little while. Is at least getting games to overtime. Three on three seems to be mm-hmm. where they're most successful, and uh, because of McDavid and Drysaitel. So if they can get the game to overtime, they're in pretty good shape. But When's the last time they just beat a team five one or something like that? It, 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 uh, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean a good team. Yeah, yeah. A good oh, okay. team. <laughs> uh, not the expansion team that played like the expansion team with the four string goalie. Yeah, a good no, team. When's uh, the last time they beat a good team five one? Yeah, they haven't really, you know, imposed their will on anybody. Mm-hmm. They've been scratching and clawing and and over time and the whole deal, which is fine. The points are points, but you know this team is is a shadow of last year's team. I mean, last year's team, I mean, they had a really good start. And then they went into a swoon where they did lose a chunk of games. 
you know, in a you know, let's say a ten game period, it was a two seven and one in December, if I'm recalling it correctly. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened to them to be start the season. But what is the difference between having that start at the beginning versus having it say you know twenty games in? Uh, it's more worse, pressure. worse at the beginning, I think, because then you figure, oh man, we're already behind the eight ball. I think once you built up a little bit bit of a cushion with wins and losses, you can stand, you know, having a stretch of half a dozen games where you don't play so well. But when you start the season poorly, uh, it magnifies. I think it's worse at the beginning of the year. You never have to look at the standings and see yourself in last place. Like when you know the Oilers got out of the gate so well last year that you know when they did hit that losing streak, you know they were a first place team and they sagged a little bit and then they got it together. Right now you're sitting in 14th and that's scary to a lot of people. Yeah, th- I think the wiggle room is not there. You don't have that buffer um, when you're at the top and you slide down a little bit. It's not as bad as if you're at the bottom and suddenly you have to kind of work your way up. And I think that's what the way the Oilers are looking at at things right now is that they don't have that buffer. They don't have that. Um, that that ability to kind of make mistakes now. Now they have to play perfect hockey almost every night, and they need those points. And I think that's the that they don't have that margin of error that they did maybe last year. So um, I think that's the biggest difference is that they slid last year. They had that margin of error, and then they just got their game back together. Now they that margin of error is gone, and they have to keep having that game back together. And then they can afford another slide like that. In January or February. Yeah, and they looked at that team at the start of last year and said, "Okay, this is this is a good team. Like they're you know they're playing really well." And then when they hit that losing streak, okay, they just some things are going wrong. We haven't seen that really good team from this from from this from this year's club. So nobody's really sure if they're that good yet. They haven't proven anything. Whereas last year they proved it right out of the box. Yeah, but this this year's team. I mean, you know, obviously there have been a few changes, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's, I guess it's the age old question. I guess everybody's been asking it. Since you know the beginning of the season, and the team stumbled out of the gate. Well, why? Well, last year was the perfect storm. Nobody got hurt. Everybody had all these personal bests. Cam Talbot was was playing un, unreal. Just everything went perfectly for them, and you knew that wasn't going to happen again. You just weren't sure to what extent it wasn't going to happen again. And it's like it happened everywhere: Maroon and Lucic and Talbot and the defense and the special teams and just sort of everything took you know one step back and when a lot of stuff takes one step back you know there you are in a, in a league with so much parity special teams if there's 20 minutes out of every game on special teams and you're terrible at both you're beaten before the game starts and I think they were counting on some younger players uh, after last year to step up and Kajula, Slepeshev and Cassian come to mind immediately and none of those players is mm-hmm. you know there's two goals between those three players uh, and they were counting on them to be top nine players. Uh, Cassian between a third and a fourth line guy, and not nothing there. And I think some of the players they were counting on, the younger players, didn't give it to them. So that is a problem. The Obviously, Ryan Strom is not as good as Jordan Eberle. And I think we probably all thought that. Uh, and Eberle, on a poor year, would still score 20 and get 50 points. And we didn't like the fact, perhaps, that... In the playoffs, he went 13 games and didn't get a goal, and which kind of sealed his fate, I think, in terms of the trade. But I think they, f- people thought Strom would be two thirds as good as as Everly, maybe three quarters as good at a cheaper price. And so far, uh, I think he has six points, and he's the third line center. And he's not the first or second line right winger; he's the third line center. So he has to pr- improve his game to offset the loss of Everly as well. 
And they're not going to get any scoring out of their back end this year. I think Oscar Clefbaum is, is their only threat uh, from the blue line. And, and you can see that early on in the year. He realized that. And he was trying to do a little too much, I guess, pinching at wrong times, jumping into the rush at wrong times. And it was hurting him at the other end of the ice. And uh, he looked lost at, at his, his end of the ice for a little while because he was just trying to do too much offensively. They have no, no offense from their back end. Chris Russell right now, I think, is leading their, mm-hmm. their defenseman. And if Chris Russell is leading you offensively from the back end, you're in big trouble. We were, we were kind of joking the other day that Brad Hunt came in here with seven assists, and those seven assists would have made him the, the top-scoring defenseman on the Oilers' blue line. Um, a guy like Brad Hunter who was playing, number, he was the number six, number seventh defenseman when he was here in Edmonton. So you need a bit more scoring out of your back end. You need some guys to provide that, and obviously they're having Secker out of the lineup really hurts them, but they, they're not getting anything offensively out of the back end, which is which is something that uh, the team's going to have to solve in one way or another. Unlike the St. Louis Blues, who get lots out of Petrangelo and Colton Pareko. They get lots from the back end, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, uh, it's a tough game. If your defense doesn't give you much, they defend well, but they don't give you any offense. It's a tough game because you count on them to get, come late in the play as an extra forward and on the on the power play. And I think they miss Sekera quite a bit. I think uh, by now he he you know he might have eight nine points because he plays quite a bit, and uh, especially on the three on threes, he's usually the defenseman out in the three on three with the uh, Dreisaitl and uh, McDavid. But we were relying on Oscar Clefbaum, or the team was relying on Oscar Clefbaum to be that number one defenseman, to be that, you know, he has that cannon of a shot from the point. You know, and we've seen that, but, you know, obviously defensemen in this league don't grow on trees. You know, one of the questions we could talk about, uh, you know, did Shirelli do enough this summer uh, to address his team's needs? But I don't think. I mean, outside of landing somehow, some way, a, a blue chip number one defenseman, which nobody, you know, it's a pretty rare thing. I mean, you're relying on Clefbaum to further develop. And, you know, he played, you know, he, as the team did, you know, a lot of the team did play well last year in the playoffs. Um, but he was, you know, obviously he's he's struggling right now. Yeah, they're, well, they're, like, in terms of Shirelli, like, you look at the way the team finished last season it didn't look like they needed a whole bunch you thought like okay all these guys are just going to take a natural step forward uh and that didn't happen in in a lot of cases so yeah he he did get caught a little flat-footed there were some players out there calgary's added some defensemen uh, over the last little while that edmonton would have you know loved to have had but uh he was in a tough spot like you know if it's not broke don't fix it and they, they 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 came one win and some bad calls away from going to the conference final so you can't blame him for not shaking things up too much, but you know you, you take 20, 20 goals out of the lineup, twenty five goals out of the lineup, and and uh, you don't really replace it. You know, it's you always want to make your team stronger. Over the summer, he, he flat out didn't do it, and and that's you know that's what they're dealing with right now. You're right. You know, you you want to make those Duchesne for tourists kind of trades in the NHL. But you, you know, they're just not there. He's making like Camilleri for UC Okanen. A 35-year-old offensive uh, winger for a 34-year-old uh, more versatile winger who doesn't have the, the offense that Camilleri has. That's the trade you got to you're making right now. So, yeah, he. I agree with Rob. You're not supposed to change the entire team over when you almost got to the conference final. And the players that he did move out, we expected he would Pouliot and and Everly and. Uh, he didn't. He has, so far, he hasn't got enough out of Strom, 
and but I don't know if there was a deal out there really to be made, and mm-hmm. I don't think he could could go out and give a whole pile of money to a free agent knowing that he had to sign McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. There was not that money mm-hmm. there. There's been some pluses this year. Obviously, Nugent Hopkins is playing way better than he has the previous years. He's back to being an offensive threat now at center, and Darnell Nurse has stepped up to where he's a top second-pairing defenseman now in my eyes. So there have been two positives that maybe they weren't counting on, and but not enough positives. I think one thing, too, is I think Peter Shirley's going to wait to see until his team is healthy, until Sekar gets back in the lineup, until Shlepeshev gets back and healthy. He's been struggling all year. Obviously, it started with an injury in training camp, and he just now with the groin injury is bothering him. And, and I think once he gets his team back healthy, I think that's when you maybe evaluate if you need something else or what you need. And, and I think he looked at that team, and he says, well, when we're healthy, we don't have a lot of holes in our lineup. And, uh, and he might be right, but uh, you need depth in this league because you're – teams are rarely ever all healthy the, you're always going to have some guy that goes down and I think that's where the Oilers lack I think they, they lack a lot of depth there's not a lot of guys uh, on the farm pushing for spots you're not, mm-hmm. you're not looking at a guy saying oh yeah he's going to be up here right away Pugliarvi's probably the, the only guy that people thought that they'd come up and make an impact and, and he has been made an Im- he has made an impact in the, in the few games he has played but uh, the organization doesn't have a lot of depth on defense or up front or, or even in goal even um, I, so I think that's where he has to work on getting m- a bit more depth uh, in that lineup. Well, he'd be, the entire league would be trying to trade for James Neal at the trading deadline, and he would be perfect for the Edmonton mm-hmm. Oilers on right wing on the uh, first line with Connor McDavid. So, But every team in the league would be trying to get James Neal, whose contract is up in, uh, this year at the trading deadline. So that's what the Oilers need, and I'm sure that uh, uh, he'll be along with the other 15 teams trying to get him. I guess it begs the question, maybe should we have been asking this question about two or three weeks ago when the others were starving for goals and for offense or did he need that time down there to you know to, to make sure that he came back hungry and, and is more focused and, and involved this time so he certainly looks to be a different player now than he did in training camp uh, why that is whether it was the result of him staying down there that long or whether they left him down there too long remains to be seen but but so far so good he's uh, it's only three we saw the same thing with uh, Kyler Yamamoto as well you know you got to wait and, and give a guy an extended period of time but He's got all the tools, and he's exactly what they need. So I think everybody's crossing their fingers that, that he's here and for real. He was scared straight when he got sent to the right. minors that, oh, I might have to spend the whole year here, <laughs> so I better start playing a little better if I do get called up. And he's more physical. He's more involved physically the last few games where he's actually using his size to advantage instead of just stick-checking people and, and that sort of thing. He's blocked some shots. He's actually made a really nice defensive play the other night. So he's more involved away from the puck as well, and I think that's what they wanted to see from him. And he still has that, you know, he's had a couple of chances last game and he didn't score, and he, you know, rolling his eyes like, I should be able to put that one away. So I think if he ever got going where all of a sudden he started scoring a goal every game, I think his content, his confidence would be through the roof. I think he'd be seeing even more of, of what he possesses. But so far, so good. And if he's scoring a goal a game, well, he's, I think, top line right winger right yeah. there. Yeah, I think part of the, the the situation with him was that he had to get used to the North American game. Um, 
you know, the angles are different, the ice is different, where you go in defensive zone and offensive zone are different. And I think they tried to teach him that early on, and he just wasn't getting it. I think that was the issue last year. He just was he was there a step late because maybe in in, in Europe it's a little different. The game's a little slower. Um, and so they, they let him go down there, and it's one thing to show a guy where he's supposed to be, but it's another thing to let a guy go down there and figure it out himself. And I think that's what happened. So he went down there, and you can you know, talk to a guy to your blue in the face. You have to go here, X, X, X. Um, but until he actually goes out there and realizes it or realizes that's the spot he needs to be, um, I think that was a situation Pooley Arby. I think he just needed to... To, to get the little nuances of the of the North American game, and then once he got those and became more comfortable with it, and it became second nature, he wasn't thinking about it. Sometimes the worst thing for a hockey player is to go out on the ice and start thinking about things. You need it to come second nature to you. You need to go out there and just do it, and I think we're seeing that with Pugliarvi. He's not wondering where he has to go. He's just going to the spot, and I think it's paying off right now for him. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing Pugliarvi up here because of injuries. I mean, if Slepeshav was healthy... Pliarvi likely would still be down in the American Hockey League because he wasn't scoring a lot, as I recall. And, uh, you know, just going back a bit, talking about the moves that Shirelli made in the summer, trying to address things, sometimes I would imagine GMs want to get lucky too. I mean, signing a guy like Ty Ratty, even though, you know, he's not going to come in and be your top, in the top six, uh, you know, that is the kind of player you might want to throw in on your bottom six and see if you can't get some secondary scoring because he's playing well. He's playing well, but I think they signed him to be the leading scorer under minor league team. Mm -hmm. And so far he is, and if if it proves that he keeps scoring there, it'll bring him up sometime during the season. On the third line, probably not in the first two lines, but probably in the third line. Yeah, I mean, Brad Malone obviously got a shot too. He will be going down when when Slepeshev gets healthy. I would imagine they'd have too many forwards, and I presume he'll be going back. Mm -hmm. Now, another, you know, we've been talking about this since last season, you know, the uh, having Leon Dreisaitl playing on the same line as Connor McDavid, since they have the most obvious chemistry, or at least he's the one who has the most chemistry with McDavid, at least historically. Um, you know, Dreisaitl has been a little quiet the last few games. He's had maybe a shot or two each game, and uh, obviously we all know what happened in the playoffs. And you need to have, you know, a double. You know, need to have Dreisaitl as a threat on his own line. Uh, is that's what are your thoughts about having those two on the, on the same line, or should they be broken up? Ryan Nugent Hopkins obviously is thriving right now as the number two center. What do you do? Yeah, well, McClellan loves that combo. He's just he's never you know breaking it up despite what we saw last year. I think it, typically if you have two strong centers, you, you you make two strong lines. But it just shows you how weak they are on the wings right now. That if you did go you know McDavid, Drysaddle, Nugent Hopkins, you're you're running out of wingers pretty quickly. You have to kind of stack your top six and, and cross your fingers on the bottom six. So, uh, you know, they could do it. Then what do you do with news? Do you put him on the wing or do you, do you bust him down a third? Because he's doing well on the second line. That, 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 that line's producing okay. You know, the first line, they're, you know, it's easy to load up your, your, your checking lines against them too and your defensive pairings if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket like that. So, I mean, other than the three-on-three, you know, they haven't been killing it offensively, but... You know they are four, four, two, and one in their last in their last seven, and they're and they're clawing away these points. But I think it's certainly something that you should experiment with, and we should be seeing some different looks instead of the exact same thing every single game this year. I think it, it, the problem is finding some any winger you can definitely play in the first line. 
who can keep up to McDavid. And you just can't keep rotating. I guess you, you can because in Pittsburgh, they Sidney Crosby plays with a whole pile of four, wingers that aren't high-end names, and it seems to work. Brian Rust or Sheary or Gunsel or whoever he's with, it seems to work. But until you can, you have a fallback to Drysail as a first line right winger. Right. I don't know if you can put him on the second line and, and bust, as you say, Nugent Hopkins down to the third line with wingers that are nowhere near as right. good as he deserves for the way he's played. He should not be penalized or punished just because you have Drysail there and say, "Oh, okay, he's there, so you're the third line center, getting." You know, two fewer minutes a game, and you've got eight goals already. So I, yeah. I don't know how. Well, Nugent Hopkins is doing better with Lucic than Drysaddle is with McDavid. So yeah. I mean, he's he's having a, he's having an excellent season, despite you know, like Maddie said, being saddled <coughs> with some line mates that just sort of, you know, are, are cut below uh, what's going on up there. But that just shows you how much the others were counting on Slepeshev and Kajula. That gums up the whole works. They were really expecting based on Slepyshev's strong playoff finish and Kajula's potential that they were going to be the right wingers that you know you could go three lines deep with with decent talent and they're sort of been very quiet or out of the picture entirely and it's or hurt a lot yeah out of the picture and it's just it's it's messed it's messed the forwards up a lot yeah and I I don't have a problem with 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 putting all your eggs in one basket as long as that basket is producing and I think teams look at that and they'd rather not play McDavid and Dreisaitl all on the same line. I think they'd rather have them separated. So when you're looking at that, I think it, it softens the matchup for the second line, which I think is a reason why maybe Nugent Hopkins is having success if, if teams are dedicating all their, their top two defensemen and their top checking lines to that top line. It, it will it will trickle down. It will help out your second line. And, and I, I just think that if you have something going for you, if you have that talent, they're a line that can go out there – and every shift, they can create something. There's always, you know when they're out there. And I think that's the, the danger of it is teams don't want to go up against that line. And if you have a line that teams don't want to go up against, why would you do them a favor and break it up for them? And I think that's the way McClellan sees it, is that, okay, here's my top line. You guys try and stop them. Uh, and he's throwing down the gauntlet. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And, and as long as it's, it's, it's working and the team's winning, he's going to keep going with it. And I think he just... Instead of using it as a default and, and bailing out the uh, the other bottom two lines, the other bottom two lines got to produce on their own, regardless of where Drysaitel and McDavid are playing. And I think that's what he wants to see. But I, I just don't think he wants to cut the opposition any slack. This is my best line. I'm going to play them together, and you guys have to stop them. And I think that's what he's doing right now. Absolutely, yeah, it's NBA mentality. You just you know stack your your best guys, play them a ton, and, and see what. Uh see what the other guys can do against them. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can subscribe to our show on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm Craig Ellingson. Talk to you soon.